Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. How are you doing? I'm Niall McCorn and welcome along to Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast keeping you up to date with all the latest goings on in the English top flight. There was a double dosage of Monday Night Football last night as the Black Country Derby ended one apiece and West Ham continued their hot pursuits of Champions League football with a 2-1 win at Burnley. We'll look back at those two scorelines on today's show. The Premier League also welcomes back Norwich City and Watford. Those two sides back in the big time after just a season away following promotion from the Championship. But who will be the third side to join them? The playoff picture has almost been painted in the second tier as Bournemouth look to bounce back, Brentford look to break new ground and Swansea and Barnsley look to be top flight teams again after some time away. However, any Premier League club next season will need to sign a new owner's charter. The league have issued a statement suggesting there will be significant sanctions for any clubs who attempt another breakaway akin to the ill-fated European Super League. We'll discuss that, as well as a huge semi-final second leg for Manchester City tonight against PSG. Will there be elation at the Etihad, or will it be Paris who prevail? This is Football Social Daily, and joining me today we've got Marley Anderson. How's it going, Marley? Uh, yeah, not too bad, mate. Yeah, not too bad. How's your long extended weekend? Uh, well, I went into Manchester for the first time yesterday, which was crazy. Um, just in time for the beer garden I was going to to shut because um, it was raining. <laughs> <laughs> so I just ended up wandering around trying to find somewhere for an out- outdoor pint while wrapped up in two layers of coats and socks and all sorts of stuff, dressed like I was going skiing. Classic Mancunian weather. We've also got straight talking Stefan Armstrong. How's things, Steph? Now then, yeah. All good, thanks, mate. You? Yeah, very well. Did you catch any of the snooker at the weekend? I know you're a big snooker fan. Oh, yeah, I was watching the final. I was, I was a bit disappointed, to be honest. Yeah. 
Max Selby's not my kind of guy, you know what I mean? He's, he's a little bit safe, so I was rooting for Murphy. <laughs> Wasn't to happen, but you know, it was a good game. He's harping for the days of Hurricane Higgins and the like, back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's time to talk football, not snooker. But if you are a snooker fan, incidentally, our Snooker Scene podcast is available on the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm sure there'll be plenty of reaction to the World Championship final over the course of the weekend. But it is, of course, Football Social Daily and Premier League action we're going to talk about today. And let's start with one of the two games that took place last night in the Premier League. It happened at Turf Moor. Burnley won, West Ham United 2. Another big win for the Hammers in their hunt for top four football. Both of their goals scored by Mikhail Antonio. He's been out for a little bit with injury, but you kind of expect that with Antonio, don't you? It's kind of been a, a mark of his career that he's spent a lot of time on the sidelines. We've spoken about this before, Stefan, and we all agreed at the time when Antonio was in form earlier this season that perhaps an England call-up is beyond him. But with these new rules that have come into place that now allow England to pick a few more players for the championships in the summer, do you think he might actually eke his way into Southgate's thinking or do you think it's still a little bit too far for him? Personally, I think it's still a little bit too far for him, um, especially when you're compared to some of the other strikers in the Premier League. I'm talking likes of Greenwood, um, Ollie Watkins, Danny Ings, Calvert uh, Lewin, yeah, Calvert Lewin, Harry Kane, Rashford. That list is growing um, ever longer, and I still think Antonio, despite despite him really being one of the standout players for West Ham this year, I still think that list is a little bit too long for him. So I, I wouldn't expect it. Um, if he did, I'm sure he could do something. Um, you saw from his two goals yesterday. Um, he's just he's, he's a goal poacher, classic mm. old school. Um, and you always need that in a tournament, but I still think there's a few people ahead of him in the queue. I think it's a good point. I think Calvert-Lewin's a better goal poacher than Mikhail Antonio, but that's not to discredit the great season he's had. You are spot on. Both of his goals inside the six-yard box, Marley. It was crosses into the box that undid Burnley for both of the goals they conceded. Does that show to you that West Ham can vary it up a little bit? Because a lot of their goals in recent weeks have been moments of individual brilliance or kind of nice link-up play on the edge of the box, some through balls and stuff like that. I'm thinking about Jesse Lingard and, and players like that who seem to have been able to, to find goals um, even from the most unlikely situations. But it was just those crosses into the box and Antonio was the man on the spot to finish them. Yeah, I think... Um... Weirdly enough, it, they were very un-Burnley-like goals to concede, weren't they? Like, two crosses in at the box. They weren't particularly hard to defend. Um, thinking about the first one, I mean, I don't know what the right-back's doing. Um, I think it's Loughton. Um, just doesn't attack the ball at all, and he lets Antonio bully him. You know, if you if you, if you try and mix it physically with Antonio, you're going to lose a, a large portion of those, uh, those battles because he's powerful, he's very, very strong, he's very good in the air. Um... And you've let that ball float towards him, and you've let him attack it rather than attack it yourself, which is the big, um, the big mistake that was made by Burnley. And then the second one was like everyone kind of just left it, and Antonio was the only one that really wanted it. And it's kind of the only you don't expect that from Burnley. But fair play to to Antonio for being in there twice and expecting the worst to happen in, from a defensive point of view, and um, and being there mm. to finish them off. And two two decent finishes, two more goals for his tally. Um, I think it, I don't know if this is right, but I'm pretty sure it's his best return of um, of a season goals wise um, yeah. ever in his career for in, in the Premier League anyway. So fair play to him. Do you think he's cemented himself as a number nine now, Marley? Yeah, you know, because obviously originally he was a winger. Do you think he is now a striker, fully fledged? Yeah, I think he's played everywhere. I, know you, I remember him playing right back at one point. <laughs> yeah, wing yeah, back, yeah. left left mid, right mid, um, somewhere down the middle. Um, yeah, but I think you can't. 
after what he's done sort of this season and, and last season as well, I don't think you can say oh, he's not a striker. And I think I think mm. West Ham made that decision when they let Hallow go in um, in January as well, and they said right, well Mikhail's a um, he's our centre forward now because um, obviously they wouldn't let Hallow go if they thought that that Antonio couldn't carry that weight himself. So he's um, he certainly proved himself. I think he was always one of them players that you you were scared was never gonna get. Was never going to find his place in a team, but I think he's done that um, both positionally and uh, on the on the whole of things. You know, with um, with West Ham as well as as well as finding his uh, his best position and getting run in the team. Yeah, I mean Burnley, they're not entirely safe, even though they took the lead through Chris Wood's penalty. And actually, I think Chris Wood is one of only a handful of strikers to score ten goals in four consecutive Premier League seasons. So I think. You know he's a, he's slightly underrated actually in, in terms of the contribution he gives to Burnley, but they're not entirely safe. Stefan, there's 12 points left on offer in the Premier League. They're only nine points from the drop. It would take something remarkable from Fulham to catch them, but um, Sean Dyche probably won't be sitting easy until he does manage to make it mathematically certain. Yeah, it's just mathematics. So he's still got Fulham to play, and I think they've still got Sheffield United to play. So you'd you'd fancy if not six points, at least four from that. So Burnley have done enough. Um, and they've shown a bit of form towards the end of the season, which is which is what we needed, really. So yeah, yeah. I mean, they beat Wolves, didn't they, four 0 last time out? And we'll talk about Wolves against West Brom in a sec. From a West Ham perspective, then, Steph, do you think they did what they needed to do? Simply win, put the pressure back on Chelsea, who do have the toughest top four running. If you look at Chelsea's fixtures, they've got some really tough games in the offing. Can you see the Blues slipping up though with the form that they're in? Uh... I can't really call it. I mean, David Moyes himself said uh, yesterday after the game that he'd be disappointed if he didn't get Europe. Uh, and I know, I know, Europe also means Europa League, but I'm thinking he's meaning Premier League, mm. uh, meaning uh, Champions League. Um, they've got a great running of West Ham uh, compared to Chelsea. Um, well, do you want me to tell you Chelsea's next six games? Obviously, tomorrow is the Champions League semi-final. Then they've got Man City away, Arsenal at home, Leicester at the FA Cup final, then Leicester again. Only three days later, at home at Stamford Bridge in the Premier League and final day of the season, Aston Villa. So from a purely league perspective, City, Arsenal, Leicester, Villa with a cup final and a Champions League semi wedged in there as well. Yeah, they need three points against Arsenal and Aston Villa. They have games that look good for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's going to be an interesting run in towards the end of the season, no doubt about that. Burnley won, West Ham 2 last night. The other game that took place was at the Hawthorns. West Brom won, Wolves won, the Black Country derby as it's known, and West Brom with an unlikely victory in this fixture earlier on in the season in what's been a pretty grim season for them on the whole as they look to be staring down the barrel of relegation and unfortunately this wasn't the most exciting of games, although it would have captured the attention of both sets of supporters. The goal scorer for Wolves, Marley, was Fabio Silva and I thought actually he looked their most dangerous player throughout the game. Do you think he's done enough though to convince Wolves not to dip into the market and buy another striker in the summer transfer window because it's all still uncertain whether Raul Jimenez will come back the same player after that nasty skull injury, which has kept him out for ages. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's done enough, but I can't see them going and doing, you know, buying another striker anyway because they've spent that much money on him and they've still got Jimenez. I don't think you can, you can then go, you know, uh, right. Well, we'll go and get another one as well, just in case Jimenez isn't quite the same. And and I think you've got to. I think you've made that decision now. You've made the decision to spend big on, on somebody you um you wanna, you, well you expect big things from in, in Fabio Silva. So, you know I think you've you've kind of got a 
you kind of owe it to him to, to stick with it. And he is improving. He's getting, he is looking more dangerous um, than he than he was at the start. I mean, he, he did look like a sort of a lost lamb at the start, you know, like wandering around the pitch, didn't really, couldn't physically mix it. I think he was, he, despite having the sort of frame and size, um, I didn't think he was doing enough. But, you know, um, against West Brom, he, he carved himself out a few chances. He was positive with with everything he did. He took took plenty of shots on. I think he nearly scored from from range, which was really good. He got himself a fair few sort of jewels in the box where it fell to him and he got a shot away and things like that. So he obviously got lucky with his goal, with his, with his deflection, but fair enough. Uh, you know, you've got to be in there to to um, to try and score. If, you, if you're going to score, you've got to be in there, you know, taking shots and what have you. So fair play to him. I think he is coming coming good. I just don't think... I think Wolves' problem is they're, they're so used to having Raul Jimenez, who is probably one of the the top four, five strikers in the league um, and they've got to find a come down from him and it's going to be tough because they've got used to Jimenez scoring everything, left foot, right foot, headers, everything you can possibly think of and leading the line as well as anybody ever could and then they've got to, you know, when he's not playing as as he's been for, you know, 30 games a season or whatever it's been, then it's a massive drop off, and that's only natural. You can't you can't have two strikers as good as him and his unless you're uh, you know an, a, a title challenging team, so so to speak. So I think they've they've just got to stick with Silver and let and let him come good because there's other players in the team that are that are young and you know they've got the best years ahead of them. I thought Vitinha yesterday was brilliant. Um, the the midfielder um, he was he was top, and he's one of the basically similar to Silver. He's he's very highly rated in Portugal. He's part of the uh, the Portuguese under twenty ones which are um which are really, really good crops. So I think Wolves Wolves have the situation where they might not be as good as they want to be now, but they will be if they let the players come through in a few years and they'll I think maybe we'll look back at Wolves in, in years to come. And we could say, oh my God, remember when they had uh, Vitinha and Fabio Silva in the same team? That that was amazing because that's how high the potential is. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, you could just not use strikers like what Manchester City do. Um, and there's question marks <laughs> over whether Jimenez will come back the same player at the same performance levels and all the rest of it. So it will be um, interesting to see how Wolves deal with that situation. For West Brom, Diagne scored the Baggies goal in the 1-1 draw. I think he's looked decent, actually, Steph, since he's arrived in January. Do you think if he had been at West Brom a little bit longer, they might have had a better chance of survival? Because he's certainly made an impact in my mind. He has made an impact. I was I was thinking about this, so I had a, I had a look at his stats, and he's made more of an impact, I think, in terms of what he's done in games than he has done really on on key moments so he's, he's only scored three goals and in my mind I, I feel like he's the only person who's been scoring for West Brom apart from um, it does feel feel like he's scored more doesn't it yeah yeah Weird. it does so apart from Pereira he's he's kind of the only person who's been involved in goal scoring opportunities recently which probably some sums up you know West Brom's problems they just can't score goals um and yesterday it was it was a classic old-fashioned derby I thought um it was scrappy, uh, and Silver's goal was kind of a little bit fluky. So I think West Brom could feel a little bit hard done by uh, only leaving with a draw. Uh, but yeah, no, no doubt he's made an impact. Um, I would imagine he'd be back to Galatasaray and um, knocking on a door for a start there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I don't think they'll keep hold of him uh, when they get relegated. 
Yeah, I was going to say they're, they're definitely going to go down at this rate. I don't think there's any question marks over that one. Do you think they've got enough in the squad or do you think they'll be able to hang on to players that they do have that are performing well, like Pereira, like Diania, to bounce back next season, much like Norwich have done? Yeah, good question. Honestly, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, there's there's no... There are a few players in that squad, um, maybe Callum Robinson, uh, who, who strike me as proper Premier League players. But, but Chelsea aren't in the championship next season, so he's going to struggle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he scores goals so against them. <laughs> I, I just don't. Nah, they strike me as a very championship team, uh, and I think Big Sam knows that. Yeah, certainly West Brom, I think, will be playing championship football next season. 1-1, it finished in their uh, Black Country derby against Wolverhampton Wanderers at the Hawthorns. And talking of promotion from the championship, that's on the agenda next here on Football Social Daily as Norwich and Watford have confirmed their return to the Premier League. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast with new shows released every single day of the season. Time to talk promotion now. And no, I'm not talking about the European Super League where there's no promotion and relegation, although we will kind of touch upon that in a few moments' time. I'm talking about promotion from the Championship, the second tier of English football, to the Premier League. We saw Norwich, Watford and Bournemouth relegated to the Championship last season. And now playing in the top flight next season, Norwich and Watford will be back. They've confirmed their return to the Premier League at the weekend. Both clubs promoted from the Championship over the last few days. Is there much of a surprise there to you, Marley? I think we highlighted last season that those clubs that did go down will probably in the, be in the top six of the Championship anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm not massively surprised they've come straight back. Um, the way they were set up squad-wise, I thought they were always going to like we said, they're always going to be a lot better than what uh, what else is in the championship. You know what I mean? So mm. you look at Watford. You know, Ismail Assar. They managed to keep hold of. I think they what was was he forty fifty million? He was something. I like think thirty seven something like that. But he was also yeah. linked with clubs like Manchester United and other big sides at one yeah. point in time. Yeah. Well, clearly he's doing something right. You know what I mean? And then they ended up keeping hold of him. So that was a big uh, a big sort of boost. And they've got they've got players like Deeney, Foster. You know, all these. All experience. these players, mm. yeah, loads of loads of experience. Um, I don't think they were ever going to be like not in the sort of top six and not have a shot at, at promotion, whether it was automatic or not. Um, and the same pretty much goes for Bournemouth. I, I always thought Bournemouth, even when they were finishing 10th and 13th and 14th and what have you and, and enjoying them five years in the Premier League, a lot of their players were um, were almost championship standard. It was, but it was the teamwork yeah. that that kept them up. Mm. They had a couple of leading lights, you know, like Callum Wilson, for example, and Josh King to an extent. But um, you know, the the staples of their of their team were players like Steve Cook and um, Simon Francis and Charlie Daniels and people like that. And you know, they were not big names, and they managed to keep them all together. So it was a case of regrouping after the manager um left Eddie Howe last summer and then I think they've had a they've had one change this summer with um with his assistant getting sacked and Jonathan Woodgate now in charge it's, the only thing I would worry about for from Bournemouth's point of view is um is whether Woodgate's got enough to get through the playoffs and and bring them back in and and the same goes for Norwich as well I think Norwich 
they kept Buendia, they kept Puki. You know, Puki, mm. Puki got 25 goals in the Championship, came up. I think he got 13 in the Premier League in the end. Um, and then went back down to the Championship and scored another 26 goals in the top of the <laughs> league. And, you know, they've, they've wrapped up uh, promotion with, what, three, four weeks to spare. So... Fair enough. Mm. You know they've kept they've kept that core together, um, and, and Norwich have done similar to what Bournemouth have did. Like I just said, um, they've added they've sold the the leading lights like um, uh, Jamal Lewis um, and uh, who else did they lose in the summer? The centre back Godfrey, um, and then they've just regrouped without them. Used that money, kept it in the coffers, not spent too much, um, and and just breeze the way mm. to promotion basically and that's that's what Norwich do they'll probably go down next season again and do it <laughs> do it all over again the season after well that's what I was going to ask you Steph Marley says you know they they've kind of kept the money quite stringently and they've not spent that's exactly what happened last season when they came up to the Premier League they spent a million pounds and were hoping to stay up in the Premier League now I'm not one to endorse profligate spending. I think that it's important to make sure you do keep a handle on the money you spend because, as we've seen, the finances in football lately make for quite grim reading. So there's no harm in in, in being conservative in that sense. But surely to compete and to avoid being the yo-yo side that Norwich are in danger of becoming, they're going to need to spend a bit of money to survive next season. But is that feasible off the back of this pandemic? I don't know what Norwich accounts look like, but um, they'll, they'll know they'll have to spend something. Um, otherwise they'll they'll yo-yo right back down. It's it's good that they kept the manager last season. Um, and the majority mm. of that squad, who, to be fair, uh, last season in Premier League started really well. They had, they did get a few results. They just tailed off, and um, they were relying so heavily on Puki. So if they can get somebody who can maybe mm. come in alongside him, um, and support him because. These these are the guys who on on a good season are scoring fifteen goals, um, but on an average season maybe only seven, eight, nine. Um, and to survive in the Premier League, a team like Norwich probably needs double that firepower. So they will need to spend yeah. money. Um, but if they've been prudent this year, um, then there's nothing to say that they can't take a bit of a risk next year um, with a, with the windfall that they'll get from being in Premier League. Mm, yeah, it's a good point actually because uh, I'm not sure what the plan will be uh, for Norwich City, particularly considering they have kept a fair amount of the, the players that did get them up last time. And it wasn't really a style of play problem. It was just that they didn't quite have the quality to stay up. So surely their plan is to try and make sure they can solidify themselves in the Premier League for years to come. What about the playoffs in the Championship then? You mentioned Bournemouth, Marley. They're one of the four teams currently in the playoffs and that situation has already been wrapped up in the Championship. So we know for sure it will be these four teams battling it out for a place in the Premier League, competing in what they often call the richest game in football, don't they? Brentford, Bournemouth, Barnsley, Swansea. So there's a 25% chance of seeing a new side in the Premier League next season. That would be Brentford. There's also a chance of seeing Barnsley for the first time in 25 years. So we'll start with you, Marley. Who do you fancy to go up and who do you want to go up if they aren't the same team? I'll tell you what, Barnsley in the Premier League would be absolute carnage. <laughs> it would be class, wouldn't I it? Think, I honestly <laughs> think I think the last two years they've, they've only just survived relegation. I don't know where this yes. has come from. Yeah. Um, mm. I know obviously the manager's you know, doing a great job and everything, but Christ. Did I... Huddersfield not do something similar though a couple of years ago? Right, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I I was going to say this this team reminds me of when um, of when Huddersfield came up because it was just it was just strange. It was like it just came out of nowhere. Just everything just clicked for them, and 
Huddersfield were, I mean, I went to Union Huddersfield. I used to watch them in League One back in 2010, 11, um, and mm. 11, 12. And, you know, they were never more than only just a championship team. You know what I mean? They were finishing 20th in the championship, 19th, you know, just about surviving every year. Um, very similar to what Barnsley have done this year. And all of a sudden, they're, they're sixth, in the Premier, um, sixth in the championship and very, very close to um, to having a shot at this. But, you know, mm. I think, um, I mean, last season they finished 21st. They survived by a point. Um, in when Leeds and West Brom went up uh, automatically, I mean the season before twenty second, um, and ended up going uh, going down. So it's it's bizarre that they've got to this, but fair play <laughs> to them. You know, if you're gonna dream, f- dream big, lads. You know what I mean? You go for what it. What do you reckon, Steph? You want pride at Yorkshire, Barnsley in the Premier League, or? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, it's bands. I went. I went to Oakwell last season to watch them play against Middlesbrough, and they they were dreadful. Uh, they were really, really bad. <laughs> it was as rainy as rain can get. Um, just a smell, just a big waft of bacon butty everywhere. Um, yeah, yeah. O- Oakwell's a proper Premier League needs that. Yeah, it does. Oakwell's a proper place, man. Like uh... it's the coldest I've been in recent years at a Premier uh, a football stadium. It was a December away day watching Pompey, and I was freezing. It's, it's, a, it's. A, do you know what? I love the stadium. It's a proper old-fashioned urinal. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what Bansley is. Uh, so I'd I'd love them to go up, and I, I remember. Yeah, I'm going to hack back to the 90s now. I remember back on FIFA 98 when they were in the uh, on on the lineup. Oh, brilliant in the Premier League! So I'd love Barnsley to go. Um, that's what my heart says. My head definitely doesn't say Barnsley. My head says uh, form and goal scorers, and that's uh, Brentford. Yeah, Brentford, Bournemouth, Barnsley, Swansea, the final four, vying it out for a place in the Premier League next season. Of course, when that game takes place, we'll bring you. All the information from it here on Football Social Daily. They call the playoff final the richest game in football. And talking of football's riches, what about the European Super League? Of course, we're still getting the fallout from this. A couple of weeks on after it's happened, there were protests uh, kind of semi-related to it over the course of the weekend, mainly uh, from Manchester United fans, of course, which I'm sure you would have been kept up to date with. But the Premier League have released a statement. They've announced that there will be a new owner's charter, which clubs in the Premier League will need to agree to. And within that charter are rules stating that no breakaway competition, such as the European Super League, will be allowed to be formed. It's been met with a few mixed views. What's your take on it, Marley? What do you think about this whole possible owner's charter? Effectively, the clubs will have to sign it and it ties them into the Premier League and means that we won't be able to see a similar European Super League breakaway. It it just seems like um, they're tightening up a loophole, doesn't it? You know they've they've almost been burnt by six clubs walking away, and then thought you know we need to put something more concrete in this um, to make sure this doesn't happen again. And I I think it's it's the right move to do. It's it does seem a bit restrictive um, on the face of it, you know, like tying clubs into things. But you know we've been been tied into this for the last 28 years or however long the Premier League's been going so I don't think it really changes much um, and it also secures it sort of protects against foreign investment coming in and saying well let's start our own thing like like nearly happened you know I think we can probably look back it's probably still too soon to look back and um, appreciate how close the the, the sport was to changing because um, if the Super League had gone ahead it, it could have been really really messy and really really 
um, huge for the landscape of the game type of thing. Um, so, you know, I'm, I still think we are a bit close to that and we, we don't really know how close we came um, to things really, really just changing and transforming and not being the same as it was. But I think in a few years we'll look back and say, Christ, we we, we dodged a bullet there, didn't we? Because, you know, I think it's only going to get worse as well. I think the only team... Um, the only people rich enough to to buy football clubs now, are, are, you know, states from the Middle East and all these things that you're not going to get a um, a John Hall situation or a, a Jack. Sir Alan Sugar's not going to pop up, is he? Yeah, and buy Tottenham again. Yeah, or a Jack Walker, you know, with his Blackburn millions all them years ago. You're not you're not going to get a local businessman because. I mean, a local businessman in Newcastle might have 100 million in the bank, and he's still 250 million short of buying the club, and that's not even wrong, you know, taking into account running things. So, you're only going to get mm. situations in the future. I mean, Sheffield United, for example, are owned by frigging Saudi Arabians. Like, how's that yeah. even come about? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not criticising them per se, but that that's the way football's going. Um, so you do have to, yeah. you do have to say, you know, we're not going to let the the rich lads pick up the ball and f- off with it. Um, mm. And start their own game because that's uh, that's not how we want to go. So fair play to this this piece of paperwork that says you absolutely cannot uh, mm. cannot do this and and don't even think about it. Any rule breach is said to bring significant sanctions, and that's a direct quote from the statement. Significant sanctions, whatever that means, because I don't think the Premier League, LMA, UEFA, EFL, and the PFA, who are all on board with this have any idea what the sanctions will be. I think they've just put that in there maybe for a bit of scaremongering. That's a debate for another day. But Jamie Carragher was concerned, as he often is on Sky Sports News, Stefan, <laughs> that clubs will be governing themselves rather than there being an authority above them to kind of make the decisions. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because clubs acting in self-interest is what triggered the anger after the European Super League anyway, because those six clubs was seen to have left the rest of the Premier League and the footballing pyramid high and dry. So even though these clubs would need to sign this owner's charter, it's still people within those clubs who'd be making the decisions at the end of the day. What a mess football is in. I mean, it's all jargon. It's all... I don't I don't understand what half of these, half of these new um, uh, things that they want to implement are. An owner's charter, a Super League. It goes on and on. For me... <laughs> I keep on thinking about the danger of of, um, of a monopoly really governing football. Uh, and the European Super League was rightly um, accused of trying to do that. Um, but I think you need to keep an eye on um, uh, organisations like the Premier League, but they don't kind of do the same thing as well. Um, there's a lot of power in the Premier League, and if, if teams are kind of tied into charters, this, that and the other... It kind of just gives the Premier League the the upper hand, which which uh, this European Super League was uh, um, hoping to achieve as well. So, I've I've said it before on this show: football is run by corrupt people uh, from the very top. Um, so, in, unless if there's some kind of clear plan with with everybody involved, and I think to be honest with you, uh, UEFA probably need to be on the forefront of that. Um, and the English FA getting a bit of getting a bit of cojones as well, and and getting involved. It just I feel uneasy about the Premier League having all the power, um, and and that that's that that's partly the reason why fans are off as well. It's it's got a lot to do with uh, big owners, big foreign owners of clubs coming in, but it's it's also got to do with the very kind of consumerism driven by the Premier League. 
Um, so so there's there's so many different um, different parties at fault, and it's it's that model. It's a Premier League model, um, which is which is you know partly responsible to for driving up season tickets to one and a half grand at places like Arsenal and Tottenham and that. So there's loads of people in the fault. Um, in the wrong, sorry, and uh, it just it just needs sorting out because it's a bit of a mess, isn't it? Absolutely, it feels like there's more to this one than meets the eye as well. Still waiting to hear if there will be any repercussions for those big six clubs that decided they were going to try and form a European Super League. Those Premier League clubs, of course, because there were 12 across Europe in total. One of those six clubs were Manchester City, and although the rumours that they would be booted out of the Champions League were doing the rounds, that isn't the case, and they take on PSG at the Etihad tonight in the second leg of their Champions League semi-final. We'll talk about that next here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast, Football Social Daily from Sports Social. I'm Niall Marley and Stefan with me. Time to talk about Manchester City versus PSG at the Etihad Stadium tonight. The second leg of the Champions League semi-final. Manchester City hold a 2-1 aggregate lead after the first leg in the Parc des Princes. And of course, that means two away goals. So Manchester City are in pole position, Marley. But do you think they'll crack under the pressure tonight? They've very, very rarely been in these sorts of situations. And I don't mean big games, because they've been in plenty of those, but often the big games they play are one-off, not really over two legs. And the Champions League brings a different pressure with it in itself. Do you think that there'll be any jitters, any nerves this evening from City? Uh, There'll be nerves, definitely. Um, And jitters and and weird little things that happen that wouldn't normally happen um like misplaced passes and weird little decisions on the pitch and stuff but i think they'll uh, i think they'll do all right i think they'll get they'll get through they'll guard this lead not necessarily by playing defensively but um doing doing what they do best and you know controlling the game i think the game against uh, psg in the first leg was was fantastic especially second half from man city when they got off to a bit of a slow start and eventually got to grips with PSG. Um I think tonight there's this talk of Mbappe being injured as well, which isn't isn't great. I mean even if he's ten percent off what he was, he's a completely different beast to um, to one he is when he's, you know, mm. fully fit and what have you. And even even in the first leg, if if he was fully fit in the first leg, I don't think he was um allowed even a shot in the game. So yep. Diaz and Diaz and Laporte or Diaz and Stones, whoever plays, will be um massively boosted by that and Hopefully they can go and get it done because I think um, with the way the other um, other semi-finals going, I think we're we're almost set for a Man City Chelsea final. I'd really love to see that. I, I think it would be a really really close game between those two, as it was in the in the FA Cup semi-final a few weeks ago. Marley touched upon it there, Steph Mbappe. the wonder kid, the French star who's still only in his early twenties, already a World Cup winner offers so much, such a dangerous threat, one of the real stars of the game, allegedly is not going to be fit for tonight's game at the Etihad. However, City boss Pep Guardiola is convinced that he will actually play. Do you think this is a few mind games from PSG? Because they are on the back foot in this one. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's a bit old school management if it is uh, if it is mind games. Um, obviously, you want Mbappe to start. Um, and if he's even if he's slightly fit, um, I'd assume he probably would start. For me, this game's set up for Neymar to to kind of prove that he he is probably still classified as one of the world's best players. Um, in that first leg, he was he was electric, um, and the, the ball just kind of seemed to stick to his foot as as he was dancing around people. Um, 
so the game set up for Neymar to, to try and do something special. So it's very much how, how City um, cope with that. Um, and don't forget, in, in big games like this is when, when you know, experienced big players come to the forefront. So even your likes of Di Maria, fair playing, um, uh, Draxler, these guys are all people who can pop up with a goal. So I think it will be really close. It's squeaky bum time for Manchester City. Uh I'm not. I'm not mm. a big fan of Manchester City, but I would. I would. I'd always like to see an English team uh, do well in Europe. So I hope. I hope they do go through. Um, oh, there's been so much debate about that as well this season about English fans not cheering on other English teams, and I think it's just the most trivial thing. Like, there's no right or wrong way. If you want to cheer on an English team, then cheer on an English team. My dad's one of those people who isn't bitter about the fact that you know when Liverpool or City or United are in Europe he wants them to do well because you know we, he's a Portsmouth fan like me and it makes no odds but if you're a Liverpool fan you probably don't want City to do well you probably don't want United to do well but it's just such a trivial thing that people start getting their knickers in a twist over <laughs> yeah. isn't it, I think that, that's what it comes down to though isn't it? it's, it's whether your club is a rival of that club in any context um, and we we can sit here as a, I mean as a Newcastle fan. I'm just I just like to see decent football match every every week because I sit through exactly. 90 minutes in Newcastle at a weekend. I want to see Man City and PSG, you know, <laughs> yeah. just taking the <laughs> out of everyone else and Neymar running rings around one of the best right backs in Europe or whatever it is, whatever it may be. You know, yeah. I like to see De Bruyne and then you watch Shelby at a weekend and go. <laughs> well, so it's just, it's one of those things. Well, PSG will need to win by two clear goals, and given the strength of City's defence, even though PSG have plenty of quality, I think it's going to be tough for them. I mean, they'll probably need eleven John Joe Shelby's on the pitch for that to happen. Even so, <laughs> even though they've got a, a really good side, I, I just I just struggle to see how PSG can can crack Manchester City and City not score again. I just don't see how they're going to win by two clear goals. I don't know what you boys think. Their biggest hope is, well, PSG have got the experience. They got to the final last season, so they know what it's like to get through that. Man City have never done it before. And the way they kind of bottled it against Tottenham a few years ago, mm. all, right, all right, decisions didn't really go their way. But they've still not made that final step. And I don't care what anybody says, the Man City players and Pep Guardiola will be thinking of that when they go into the match tonight. Yeah, well, Manchester City versus PSG kicks off this evening, second leg of the Champions League semi-final. Just a quick one before we wind down today's podcast. Obviously, Manchester United against Liverpool at Old Trafford was postponed on Sunday due to the protests and the fans running onto the pitch at Old Trafford. And I think as soon as that happened, there was no real chance the game could go ahead. Do you think that that subconsciously will have any impact here in terms of mentality and stuff like that Marley because if Liverpool had won City would have been the Premier League champions and they would have been going into this game perhaps with a little bit more confidence maybe a few beers in the tank as well which maybe (laughs) might have changed I'm not saying that of course they'd all be completely professional but maybe that game had it gone ahead could have altered the mindset or the mood even of this fixture tonight uh, yeah, I think if, if anything, I think this this was a, a small blessing in disguise um, for Man City because, you know, as you say, they'll be celebrating um, on Sunday if, if Liverpool had beaten Man United and it might have just slowly took something away from um, from the, uh, the the preparation and things like that. I think I think sometimes when you when you get to this this part of the season where you you, you can win things. Um, out of your own hands, I think it can be uh, a little bit sort of 
bit like a bit of an anti-climax almost um, at times. And I think we we might have seen that. I think Man City will prefer to win a game and then have themselves confirmed as champions because I think that's the best way to do it. Um, and if they'd mm. have won the title at the weekend, you know, by not playing, um, by watching, you know, two of their sort of rivals play and hope for a certain result and then not be able to celebrate with the fans as well, I just think it would have been just not, not the not the ideal way to win it. Obviously, there is no ideal way with, with fans not being allowed everywhere as usual, but um, you, you, ideally you want to win a game yourself. Um, and I think just having that that distraction pulled away from them on Sunday would would be would be good for them. It just allows them to zone in um, on this match even more than they did. So fair play. Just finally, then very quickly, Manchester City going through tonight, Stefan. Um, no, I think they'll bottle it. Oh, Marley. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they'll go through. Oh, I think okay. they'll be 2-0 and a hell of a lot of yellow cards as everybody loses the Reds because <laughs> it's one of them games where as soon as it's not going PSG's way, they'll start booting everyone. Well, City take on PSG tonight. Champions League semi-final, second leg at the Etihad. Of course, we'll have full reaction on tomorrow's Football Social Daily as well as looking ahead to Chelsea's challenge to try and get by Real Madrid to join one of these two sides, City or Paris, in the final in Istanbul later on this month. Of course, we'll talk about it all on Football Social Daily tomorrow. Make sure you hit subscribe and you won't miss that one. But for today's episode, that's it. And we'll catch you again next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.